you enable a customer to go have an idea, click a button in software, and digitally fabricate any shape you can imagine through a, an enormous range of materials, you know, from metals like titanium and uh, stainless steel to like carbon fibers down to plastics, right? When you design a part, if you can hit click and have that part, the right part, the first time, it's a transformative experience. Hey there, M4 Edge listeners. Thanks for being curious. Before we get going, I wanted to give a shout out to Otis Lane, who gave us a nice review on iTunes. Thank you very much, Otis Lane. I'd love for other curious listeners to follow that lead and also write us a review. It really helps expand our listenership. And if you're so inclined, we'd really appreciate it if you posted about us on social media. Share a link to our show or go to one of your favorite episodes and share that one. Let others know about this special community we're trying to grow. For now, welcome to part two of our mini-series on additive manufacturing, also known as 3D printing. I've actually recently read that there are some who see a clear distinction between those two terms, preferring to use 3D printing for the desktop printers and products produced by the maker community, and preferring to use the term additive manufacturing for the higher-end and industrial-grade products. But for us, at least for now, we're using those terms interchangeably. In fact, we asked Ben Redwood of 3D Hubs about this semantic issue, and he also answered that, you know, at least for him, there isn't really a useful distinction. If you haven't already listened to the Ben Redwood interview, which is the first of this miniseries, I'd strongly encourage you to do so, particularly if you aren't familiar with some of the different types of techniques used. There are different types of 3D printing techniques, and Ben explains the main ones and also talks about the industry's growth and development. And if you listen to that episode, you'll get clued into some publications made available for free to M4 Edge listeners. In today's show, we interview Greg Mark of Mark Forged. That's Mark with a K. At least at this point in time, Mark Forged is probably the best known of the 3D printing companies we interview. Not to say that the other companies haven't been recognized in various forms, but for instance, Deloitte recently ranked Mark Forged as 10th in their 2018 North America Technology Fast 500 rankings. 10th out of 500 ain't bad. And Forbes put them on a list of next billion dollar startups. So some really positive coverage for them. But their fame isn't the only thing that makes this interview interesting. Greg talks not just about the technology in general and the particular advantages that he says Mark Forge offers. He also talks about the pace of tech change. So business economists should listen closely to what he says about, for example, the increased economies of scale that he's seen and expects to see in the industry. And investors might want to pay attention when he talks about massive consolidation that he believes inevitably will hit the industry. And technologists should be on the lookout for his predictions on breaking technology barriers and the certainty of advance. And of course, manufacturers should pay attention to the things that his technology can do. And for the rest of us, just keep being curious. Enjoy the episode. Let's get going then. So Greg Mark, CEO of Mark Forged and Track Lord, Director of Communications for Mark Forge. Thank you guys so much for joining m 4 Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. One of the questions we 
like to start our interviews with is having you explain, you know, first of all, what the company is all about, you know, what Mark Forge is and does, what problem are you trying to solve? And Marco's uh, catchphrase, why on earth are you doing this? So the, the uh, why on earth we exist. So fundamentally, uh, you know, if you, if you look back over time, uh, as, as designers and engineers try to create new products and bring, bring new things into existence, there's this uh, accelerating ability to, to design and, and conceive of ideas and get through all the, all the details of that. But physically making them, you know, making these products, producing these products and doing them in volume is still slow. Right. And so what we do is we have a, a breakthrough series of products that allow you to, you know, des- take your design for a part and get it fabricated automatically, in this case, 3D printing uh, at the push of a button. So you can have an idea, decide you want to have that part, design that part, drop into a web browser, pick from any number of different materials from stainless steel, titanium, uh, Inconel to exotic materials like carbon fiber, Kevlar, all the way to plastics like nylon. You hit print, it gets automatically built, and now you have that part. And you know you can have that part in as little as a few hours, and the longest time is you know a day or a day or a day and a half, right? So what this does is this has totally changed the design paradigm. It used to be what we call design and wait. So you would design a part, you design a product, you, your new Tesla, your new iPhone, you design it, and then you wait you know weeks to months to get your first version of that back or to make them in any volume, uh, and now you can hit a button and just have the part. Right? And every year we add new materials to the process, new capabilities, higher resolutions, higher throughputs, higher speeds. Uh, and it basically allows people to bring out breakthrough products at a faster pace. And that's the why we exist. Marco, I see you're, you're back. I, uh, I asked your, your question first, uh, figuring I wasn't sure when you were going to get back on. And here I am. And Mark, if you want to ask the question, I'll answer it a second time. <laughs> totally fine. No, no, no. Actually, it's better that you answered it already because I was thinking in my mind that given the success that Mark Forge has had already, asking now why on earth you're doing this sounds a bit odd. So I'm glad that Michael handled it. Well, so the, the thing you could ask is, uh, you know, why we've been successful. If you want to do, if you, you know, the, hey, so, look, so the, yeah, this is something that we do want to delve in because something that I'm particularly very curious about is uh, your your best selling point seems to be, to some extent, the quality of the hardware you produce. So I was very interested in getting deeper into the business model issue. So, so okay, you know, uh, we look at we look at uh, the hardware and the software as a means to an end. And the end is really the part that the designer or engineer has, has, has conceived of, right? So we, you know, at the end of the day, we're in the, we're in the manufacturing business. So we through, you know, we will enable a customer through the selling of our solution. We enable a customer to go have an idea, you know, click a button in software and digitally fabricate any shape you can imagine through a, an enormous range of materials, you know, from metals like titanium and uh, stainless steel to like carbon fibers down to plastics, right? And the, uh, in order to do that, and the, the way we look at this is when you design a part, if you can hit click and have that part, the right part, the first time, it's a transformative experience. And everything we do is, is, is tying a feedback loop on anything that gets in the way of customers globally all around the world being able to hit click, click print, have that part appear on their 3D printer through a range of materials. Anything in the way of that 
needs to get engineered out. So it, so as a, as a prerequisite, as a prerequisite, you have to have best in class hardware, best in class software, deep integration with materials, uh, in, in this kind of seamless package where you can, uh, where you remove friction from the cycle. Right. And if, if you think about it, like, uh, you know, if you draw the parallel to computers, there was a time where you programmed computers with punch cards. It wasn't very efficient. Right. And in fact, today, you know, our software team, if we told them, Hey, you'd have to, you'd have to code this in punch cards, they'd all quit. Right. They, they couldn't, they can't even conceive of that amount of friction to input their, to get their ideas to turn into a product. Right. In mechanical engineering and in this, in this world of manufacturing, there's just so much friction in going from this idea, this idea of a new product or new version of the product to physically getting it to your, to your customers, to get it out in the world. There's still all that friction and we're just making it go away. And so Greg, Greg, from the perspective of the customer, this really seems to be mostly about speed and reliability. And of course, reliability contributes to the speed. And I think that is a, it's one of the biggest advantages we have seen about 3D printing, which is, as you said, increasing the efficiency, taking out the friction, speeding up the cycle of designing, prototyping, producing. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, the major improvements that your customers derive from this? Yeah, so, so you know, we, we say, you know, you know, one way to look at this is we're reinventing manufacturing. Okay, so you take, uh, take a factory, and this can be an automotive factory, this can be a jet engine factory. This can be a submarine factory, a number of factories. Uh, you build an assembly line. This is, and think about your, you know, your original, like Henry Ford and the original assembly line. You build this assembly line to make your product. And uh, the first version of the assembly line is slow. And then you work over months to make that line faster to increase your production ramp. That was with the old way of manufacturing. When you can build a digital factory, which means like you can digitally change evolve and enhance your assembly line in real time so all of a sudden like every part of that line can be updated by a 3d printer the the rate that you can rent manufacturing changes by an order of magnitude we have customers who you know they'll buy a printer and so you'll buy like uh take an x7 it's a seventy thousand dollar printer industrial printer nice build volume laser and process inspection all that's great stuff the net result all these features and you know things that we build into the printer what it enables customers to do is like, is say, oh, hey, I've just designed a new assembly step for that factory. I'm going to hit print, put it on the factory today and reap the benefit of it. And I'm going to rinse and repeat that every day, multiple times a day down the factory. And what you see is companies are, are taking these products, bringing their products to market faster and ramping manufacturing faster than they've ever done it before. I'm sorry. I want, I want to push a little bit on this. So when, when you say faster than, than ever before, and you, you said, you know, two hours to a day and a half or something, we're not starting from scratch there, right? I, I just want to understand what it is you're, you're describing. Uh, yes, it's great. So, so you're, uh, you're the engineer. So it's, it's, it's become really hard for me to pick a generic company now because we've sold printers to pretty much everybody and people, you know, without authorization for case studies, we can't pick a generic company. So uh, pick a car, imagine a car company, okay? okay? Uh, you're at a car company, you've come out with a brand new car. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful, it's revolutionary. There's like hundreds of thousands of people who have pre-ordered this car and you're trying to make your assembly line go faster, okay? And as an engineer, you look at this thing and you say, ah, I found one bottleneck in one part of this line and I'm going to improve that bottleneck. And I can tell, I've got like, uh, 
high conviction that if I change the design of this mechanism, I'll make cars faster. I'll see it in the output of the, the output of the factory will go faster. You design that part in your favorite in your favorite design software, and then historically, uh, best case scenario, you're waiting one to two weeks to get those parts back. More typically, you're waiting four to five weeks to get those parts back. For us, it's immediate. And the key here is you're not getting a prototype of your idea. You're getting the end use part that's going to be that's going in the factory that will make millions of products. Right. So it's not. 3D printing for 30 years has been trapped in prototypes, okay? You're making like weak plastic parts that allow you to like do a fit check. Does it fit right? Does it look good? Do you think it will work if it were stronger? It's like a, it's a prototype, right? We've just, the, the whole point of MarkForge is we're not in the prototyping business. We're in the high strength end use parts business. So everything industrial, whether it's building a factory, whether it's, you know, you have like Stanley Black & Decker doing, you know, end use parts to get deployed into industrial equipment, whatever it is now, you can, you can design a strong part, have that strong part and start using it in an end use application. That's, that's the, that's, that's the breakthrough. So the, one of the things that I thought I understood about additive manufacturing and, and maybe I'm wrong is that in fact, one of, except for uh, a few sort of, you know, maybe side cases, um, one of the remaining, um, I don't know, barriers is that it's typically slower and that uh, you can't print very large parts. So how do you get over that? How, how do you get from this barrier of typical, typically slower part production to the speed you're talking about? Okay, I'm going to like uh, try a brand new analogy on you. <laughs> so uh, get ready, track. Here we go. So this is like, a, this is like a, one of these famous races where you take a fighter jet and a Ferrari and you put them on the airstrip and you do zero to 60, zero to 100, zero to 200, right? And for zero to like uh, between 60 and 100, the Ferrari is just screaming, okay, way past the fighter jet. The fighter jet can't even keep up. They got the afterburners kicked on and it's just like getting smoked. And then somewhere between 100 and 200, the jet surpasses and then it goes over to like, and then she shit supersonic, okay? 3D printing, you know, historic 3D printing couldn't even come to the race. The parts weren't strong enough. We're now in a scenario where we're the Ferrari and we're, uh, we're the fastest way to get you between zero and a thousand parts. We're literally the fastest way to do it. And the, and the thing is, uh, three years ago, we're the fastest way from like uh, zero to 20. Okay. And then like two years ago, we were the fastest way from like zero to 60. And now we're the fastest way from like zero to hundred. And depending on the part, that might go zero to a thousand. And so every year what's happening is uh, the prerequisite is a high strength end use part. And every year, the volume by which we're the fastest way in the world to do it keeps going up because we make the printers faster and we come out with new technologies, right? So you, in the, in this, in the space of manufacturing, uh, there is still the jet, which is, you know, when you're going, when you're hitting the scale of, you know, one of our investors is uh, Porsche finance, which owns Volkswagen um, or controlling interest in Volkswagen. When you're, making, when you're making cars in the volume of a, of a Volkswagen, you're going to you know, pour parts in a mold. It's going to be fast. It's gonna, in high volume, traditional manufacturing, once you hit production, has higher throughput, lower cost. When the volume is, you know, what we're talking about, this 0 to 100,000, 5,000, 10,000, and that mark, whether it's 1,000 or 20,000, is based on the geometry, right? That's where that's where we shine, right? And every year that mark goes up, 
right? And sometimes dramatically, right? So we had, uh, you know, we launched uh, almost five years ago now, and we came out with our our first our first printer. We held this part and we say, hey, here's this high strength end use part. We made this thing in quantity of one for seventeen dollars, and we were literally we were at a manufacturing trade show. We asked about three thousand mechanical engineers, can you make one of this for cheaper than seventeen dollars? One hundred percent of people said no. Great, can you make? And then you roll it up. Can you make uh, ten of these cheaper than one seventy? And now you're starting to get oh maybe da 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 da. So we were in the zero to ten range. Right. Right. Now with the with when we added metal to the platform, you take that. You take that thing and it scales instead of at hundred, you're in the thousands, right? And so every, the way we, the, the facts on the ground are, uh, as you, as we come out with new technologies, new processes, that crossover point keeps getting pushed to higher and higher volumes. But the point is that uh, this is the first time that you have, that you have a, you know, ability. This is, we have, so for example, on the metal side, this is the first time a metal printer is cost effective for industrial parts. If you look at the if you look at a million dollar a million dollar metal printer, you might you'll make some aerospace parts, some medical parts, but you're not making factory parts. You're not making end use uh, industrial parts. You're you're making really high value niche applications. For us, again, first time Stanley Black and Decker case studies. We're so much lower cost than the laser based systems. It's actually cheaper than traditional way of making it casting it and machining it in volumes under a thousand. Mm. And that's the first. So it's mm. like, uh, it, it just opens up a whole new, it opens up a whole new uh, way to bring products to market quicker. Right. Right. Is there a, are you approaching any kind of, you know, scientific limit beyond which, you know, you said you went from zero to 10 to zero to a thousand in five years. Um, is there a reason why it couldn't go, you know, zero to 10,000? Okay. So candidly, this is exactly like, uh, this is exactly like when computers, you know, you go back to like, uh, the sixties and seventies, yeah. uh, with the technology we have today, you'll approach limits, but as, as like, uh, as with computers and as with aerospace engineering, every limit is made to be broken. There was a time where like, if you look, if you look back to aviation, my background's aviation, if you look back to aviation, we first flew in like, uh, 1903. Okay. And then you get to like, uh, the like 40s, 50s, 60s, it's like every 10 years we're going like one speed of sound faster. I mean, for a while there was like a sound barrier. We didn't think we'd get through it. And we crossed through that before we had computers, before we had 3D printing, before we, and so you look at Moore's law, the, the pace of, uh, of innovation is accelerating exponentially, right? So we're going, we're faster and faster and faster driving through those barriers. So with the technologies that people are shipping today, inclusive of us, uh, yeah, you'll hit a barrier. Your barrier may be at like 50,000 to hundred thousand pieces. That barrier will be blown away in the future. It just always, it, it, it always happens. Right. And it's, uh, it's imminent. You mentioned, you know, uh, when you did metals and you mentioned at one point, the different materials you're using and you mentioned metals versus plastics. And I saw from your website, you have these two offerings. You've got the, or two, maybe three offerings, the desktop and the, uh, the industrial size. And then there's this uh, newer offering that looks like it's kind of a software as a service offering. So talk a little bit about, about those three things and what the, what the differences among them are. So we have, we have one platform effectively. And this platform is a, you know, we came out, we rewind six years ago. What we invented was this version of multi-material printing. 
so, you know, back in 2013, you know, you had this paradigm where you could buy a, a million dollar printer and it would make high strength parts out of metal, but the, the machine was expensive, difficult to use and materials are toxic. At the low end, you have these plastic printers that make, uh, that are very accessible, but they make uh, low strength parts that you can't use for any sort of industrial or real application. We came out with a new type of printing where you take a high strength material, you wrap it in plastic, and now you can print it or form the shape with a low cost plastic machine. But then you have this high strength backbone inside of it, which gives you this 10 to 20 X strength increase. So this, this kind of multi-material printing uh, we've now, and then every few years we add more materials to it. In the beginning, it was uh, Kevlar and carbon fiber and fiberglass. And then we add titanium, stainless steel, da da. So we, we have one platform, this multi-material printing that lives across a desktop, an industrial and an industri- and another industrial. And then we segment and then we optimize each print engine for the high strength material inside of it. So we have an optimized composite line and an optimized metal line, but they share their like the DNA. It's like the difference between like a human and a monkey. It's like 99.5% similar. Right. And it's a little bit of difference that makes it 20% better to print one of the materials with the other ones. Right. So we have, so we at the core where this multi-material printer and then, uh, Customers tend to tend to use both of them, right? So you think about it as like a tools in your toolkit. Your screwdriver is no better than your hammer. You need both, right? So if you're in a company like Dixon Valve and you're making uh, and you're making castings, okay? If you want to pick up a part with a robot, you want to pick up a part and you don't want to scratch the surface. You want to make it out of composites because it's the strongest metal, but it won't scratch. If you want to pick up a part, but you want to grab it on the threads where there's like uh, high point loads and high friction, da, da, da. then you want to make it out of stainless steel, right? And so depending on the application, if you want it to be lighter, you want so your robot can move faster and speed up your factory, you want carbon fiber. If you want it to be an MRI machine, you want carbon fiber. If you want a CT machine, you want, uh, you want fiberglass. Uh, if you want it to be, if you want it in a satellite, you want carbon fiber. If you want it uh, implanted in a body, you want titanium. So there's, for every different uh, end use application, there's kind of an ideal material. And so customers end up buying composite printers and metal printers uh, so they can have both. Got it. One of the things I heard from the CEO of, of Zometry is that some printers, I'm not sure if this applies to yours, basically they, they're kind of finicky, right? Once they're qualified uh, to do one particular product, um, you don't want to mess with them. and that's that's one of the limitations he saw in the additive manufacturing world generally that you know you get you get it figure out how to do complicated thing x and that machine does complicated thing x talk about how flexible if you can your own printers are you know can they do x through you know a, a through z or just x okay so that's that's a i would so i would replace finicky with uh process parameter stability let me unpack that mm-hmm. so the laser-based 3D metal printers are beautiful printers that run a, uh, a repeatable, precise process. But there's, if you change a parameter, the whole thing goes out of whack. So let's say you're building uh, the nozzle for GE's jet engine, okay? You have to run the laser in that process the exact same path every time like at the exact same path at the exact same point in the machine or the path or the whole thing falls apart. Right. For our printer, our process is fundamentally more stable. 
Okay. And because what it is, is when we're shaping these metal parts, we're actually shaping the part in plastic. And there's all this metal powder that's kind of along for the ride because you're not melting the metal. You don't get all these baked in weird thermal stresses and you don't have this, this history of how it was built baked into the part. So if you, let's say you're making a brake lever for your Ducati. I have a Ducati, so it's like uh, near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Whether you print the brake lever in the center of the bed, the back of the bed, the, the front of the bed, the one corner or the other, it uh, doesn't matter. The lever won't change. If you, uh, if you were to go in software and reverse the order of five layers, it doesn't matter. The brake lever won't change. If you switch that paradigm from our printer to a laser printer, that whole thing blows up. You got to make that lever in, in one part of the printer. You've got to run the laser the same way every time. So you make sure that like one high point of thermal load in one area is balanced to a high point of thermal load in another area. You've got to keep uniform. There's all these, there's all this, when you're melting metal layer by layer, there's all these parameters that like the parameter space is very, very, very difficult. For us, we're melting plastic layer by layer. And then you go to a furnace and you heat all the metal uniformly at one time. And that just gives us a much wider stability in the process and allows it to be, you could say it's less finicky. It's just a more stable process, right? So what this means is that uh, if you come up with a, let's say you want to change that Ducati brake lever because it's the process is more fundamentally more stable. If you want to make it an inch longer, it's fine. No problems. If you want to make it like 20% fatter, it's fine. No problems. Like you don't, they don't require the iteration of DMLS, of, of the laser base, the laser melting systems. And that, what, that, what that translates into is uh, when a customer hits print on our metal printer for a shape they've never printed before, it's going to come out right. When you go to a metal printer, you have to qualify every shape, right? Unless you're, unless you're in a very narrow window. So if you're doing crowns, like uh, dental application crowns, because they're thin wall and they're very similar and da-da-da, you can do a bunch of different crowns without requalifying. But if you, if instead of making crowns for your teeth, you want to make a bottom bracket for a bicycle, you're toast. You got to requalify. You want to make a Ducati brake lever, requalify. It's just, and the requalification is iteration after iteration after iteration to get the part to come out right without cracking, bending, distortion, all that process. You refer to DMLS, and I know that's one of the different, several different kinds of additive manufacturing processes that are that are out there now are there, I mean, do you see a future when, um, you know, these thousand flowers that are blooming continue to exist? Or do you think that in, you know, a few years, basically it, it comes down to, you know, one, one process, maybe a different way of asking this. Are, are there things that the Mark forge printers aren't designed to do or can't do, or maybe won't be able to do? Okay. So we're, so 3d printing is like uh, every other tech industry that's ever like come up. Right. So in the beginning, there's uh, no, you know, in, air, in aerospace, you call it a dominant design. You see in aerospace, you see in automotive, you see it in, you see it in, uh, in, in software. The software moves a little bit faster. In the beginning, there's a whole bunch of different people doing different crazy stuff, right? And it's hard to parse out because there's so many details, by the way. It's hard to parse out which is going to be successful, where the applications are. You're going to see massive consolidation in this industry, right? There are like uh, a lot of, so for example, in the, in the laser melting area, so selective laser melting, which is the, is the category term for DMLS, you have a lot of people making very similar machines, right? And, the, and where that usually ends up into is, is mass consolidation, right? And then you also have a lot of people making new types of uh, processes. And a bunch of the processes that get announced never hit commercial viability, right? So you're going to see a lot of things that were announced just go away. 
uh, and then you're going to, and what's going to, what's going to end up is uh, a few big players that have a portfolio of technologies and each technology will be used where it's optimal. So if you're making uh, meta, if you're making crowns for teeth, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if the selective laser melting continues to do that for the next, you know, five to 10 years. But as we come out with, uh, you know, newer, newer technologies, you'll see that they, uh, they'll start eating into these, uh, older technologies and pushing them more and more and more into a niche of what they've been historically good at. Right. So the problem is when you only have, you know, effectively one way to do metal with the selective laser melting, people try to, people try to take that round peg and put it in a square hole and it does a lot of banging and hammering and pain and it just doesn't work. And so then you come out with a new process where it's a round peg and a round hole like our process and the whole subset of applications just, uh, get get fulfilled with this new technology and the old technology stays doing what it's good at and the new technology every year gets better doing what, what the old technology also did right so you're going to see consolidation uh and you're going to see a bunch of processes that have been announced that just go away and and the second part of my question are there, are there things that are there types of products or industries for which you think the mark forge printers just aren't really you know they, they won't be the round peg in the round hole so yes, yeah, so there, so uh, everything has a sweet spot, right? So for example, if you want to make uh, high volume production plastic, we don't have a printer for you, right? We're not we're not in that business. We're we're in the uh, you know if you want to make so for example, we get we get people who want to make uh, iPhone cases out of plastic. We're not an iPhone case business, right? We don't make. I mean, you could print a killer iPhone case on one of our printers. You could make it out of titanium and have it snap on. You could make it out of carbon fiber. It'd be the lightest iPhone case, the lightest, strongest iPhone case the world's ever seen. Uh, but, it, but it's like, it'd be a $50 iPhone case and it probably isn't commercially viable. And so we don't, we, don't, we're, we're, we don't play in the part of the market where it's like high volume consumer plastics. We just don't want to be there. Never want to be there. Have no desire to be there. We are a high strength industrial company. If you need a high strength mission critical part, we've got a printer for you. Right. If you want, uh, and there are a lot of companies who are going after high volume plastics and, uh, candidly, I hope they work because, uh, it'd be great if somebody did it well. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I, I think Marco is on and I hope, I mean, I see that he's on Marco. Can you, I am back and yeah, I am back and I can hear you. There. One question I, one question I had, Greg is the following. How important is the cloud based aspect of your solutions and why? Oh, it's huge. Okay, because one of the, you know, we, when we started talking about this program, I wanted to hit on the most uh, fundamental level, which is a designer or an engineer has this, has this idea and this design and this shape and they, and they, need, they need to create this product or the, and this component and they have to, and like uh, we provide them the easiest way to do that, right? The lowest friction, fastest, lowest cost up to a couple thousand pieces. Okay, now there's a distribution problem. So we serve global companies. Right, the, 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 world is, the world is a smaller and smaller place every year. And companies are increasingly global. So you'll design, and I, and I think it might have been Intel came up with the notion of copy exact. So you'll design a, a, a product or a factory or something in one location. Could be one state and you're doing it in two states of the country. Could be you know, in North America and you have a, a similar factory in, uh, in Germany or in Brazil. And now instead of having to ship components, go through customs, go through lead times, this entire thing, you're just sending it, you're automatically printing from the U.S. anywhere in the world. 
or vice versa. So for example, if you're doing a, when you think about collaboration, your, uh, your, your Apple, okay, your Apple and your design, you have your new iPhone and you're working with, uh, with Flex on the assembly line and you're, you're looking at this problem and all of a sudden you now have an engineer in Cupertino who has an idea for a fixture. They can make that design, print it in Cupertino, decide that it solves a need and then print that thing directly in, in uh, Shanghai. And it's, and it's seamless. Like you can, whether or not your printer is 10 feet away or 12,000 miles away, doesn't matter, right? So what that, what that does is it allows you to, it allows companies to collaborate more efficiently. So now instead of having all these like disparate engineering orgs, you can kind of bring them together. They've already been, they've always been able to share designs. You can get on a Zoom and you can see each other and you can share designs. But how am I gonna get the part from Boston, Massachusetts to Shanghai? I'm gonna ship it and I'm gonna, it's like gonna take a week and clear through content. No, you just print it. It's there in the morning, literally there in the morning. Right. And that's, and that's, uh, that's allowed, that's allowed global companies to move faster. And surely Greg as now it's not the, the actual physical part that has to be shipped, but the digital blueprint that exactly. travels from one print to another. This must create, I imagine a whole new set of cybersecurity concerns. So, it, uh, so it does. And we have, uh, and so the nice thing, you know, we're, uh, we're in process of getting ISO 27,001 um, and uh, on, on the security side. And actually we do, because our, because our customer base includes uh, the people with, uh, I should say, big secrets, we actually do three versions of our software. So we have the, uh, the full cloud version, which uh, stores all your files online, super easy to use. It's a big hit with small and medium businesses because they're, they're, ease of sharing uh, and their general like smaller IT departments, it's a best in class fit. Then you step up a security level to uh, what we call on-premise, right? Which means you're still, you're still getting, every time you, uh, you come into the software, you're still downloading the latest version in, in a basically packaged browser, downloading the latest version of the app, but all your data lives in your, in your enterprise's already secure file storage system, right? So you're, so for example, uh, again, I can't name names, but uh, you pick a, pick a large aerospace contractor. They already have a mechanism for, for storing, transporting, and maintaining uh, warehousing files. We slip right into that. So it goes, so it's, you know, from the IT side, we give you the, both the best of both worlds. You get to download the latest software automatically in your browser. So you don't even know you're downloading it. And, uh, and you get to store your file securely the way you store every other file, right? So that's like, that's next version. And then there are certain uh, uh, companies or agencies that we do a lot of work with that uh, the cloud is not even an option. There's not even somebody who can uh, overrule it. It has to be fully offline. And for those uh, organizations, we have offline versions as well, where you can, where you can have a full offline experience. Candidly, uh, the online experience is a better experience. It's a nicer, it's, it's, moves faster, it allows better collaboration, so it's got a lot of great stuff. But if you're, if you're designing intercontinental ballistic missiles, the cloud's not an option. And so we'll do a full offline version of the software for those customers. So we basically, we tailor the software. Basically, the higher security risk you have, the kind of slower your software moves, and the, and the less you get to have the advanced sharing features. The more you have the advanced sharing features, the... Uh, it's, it comes for companies that are that are less uh, security averse. 
Yeah, that's a very clear. It's a very clear trade-off. So essentially, the, the best thing would be to have no security concerns at all. But you can have security safeguards and guarantees even with the cloud sharing. And then, of course, if you want to be super secure, then the offline option is best. Another topic I wanted to touch on, Greg, is the following. In our first podcast, we focused on material science and we discussed a bit the synergy between new materials, new manufacturing processes, and new design techniques such as generative design. So I was curious if you have already seen cases where the availability of your processes has influenced the development of new materials or has interacted in interesting way with new design techniques. Oh, absolutely. So uh, let me see what I can say about this. Um, okay, so we're uh, we're working on a program now. So so we have because we have a new way of of making these these metal parts, these high strength metal parts. Uh, that's that's different than the paradigm that we've had that the industry's had for the past twenty years. It's enabled a whole new class of materials, right? So, for example, if you have to laser melt a material with point heating uh, to build the entire part, there are certain materials that you just can't, you just can't use because they'll crack, right? Uh, we don't have that problem. So we've opened up a design space where there are now these really exotic materials that engineers have wanted to 3D print for years, but they couldn't do it in the laser systems, but they can do it in our sintering-based process where, where now we're, and we're working a, a number of programs where we're, we've partnered to develop these materials and it's just, it just opens up. And these are like super exotic aerospace alloys. It's opening up a design space, the combination of 3d printing and new exotic alloys that just weren't in, in the engineer's toolkit before. Right. And that's kind of, that's one example, but the list goes on and on with this new process. There's all different ways you can combine metals in the process to come up with totally different, uh, different and new formulations. In fact, let me, uh, let me break this into two categories. We have uh, one category we'll call it tried and true. Okay, so uh, the first material we launched was a 17.4 precipitation hardening stainless steel. If you go to a mechanical engineer, they know what that metal is. They know how it should perform, where it's good, where it's bad, everything about it. And the next metal we released was H13 tool steel, and then upcoming is Inconel, a few more metals. There's a whole group of these, what I'll call like known, trusted name brand metals. Then there's a second category, which is brand new, high-tech, futuristic metals that couldn't be done any other way. And that's, that's the kind of new category. And over the next you know, uh, one to three years, you're going to see more and more of those metals rolling out, which is these are, these are game-changing for aerospace applications. When you think aerospace, when you think satellites, when you think of uh, supercomputers, things that really need, where anywhere you're pushing the performance envelope, where existing materials aren't good enough, that's where these new materials shine. Can I can I ask a interject here and ask how do you test those new new metal new process? How do you know it's good enough? So it's, uh, so <clears throat> the 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 beautiful thing about this is the the test methodology. You know, pull like build a z-axis beam, put it on a you know these these kind of uh, ASTM standard tests at least for, for traditional alloys, uh, and they're coming up with them for 3D printing, but for, for traditional alloys, the testing methodology is pretty well understood. They just physically couldn't make these things, right? So what, what it is, is we opened up, we said, hey, look, we have a new method of combining small metal pieces together, like, like 
think about it. We're not, we're not talking at the atom level. We're talking at, you know, micron levels, okay? We have a new method of combining these together and that opens up a design space in metallurgy that didn't exist before, right? And we can do it, you know, you can mix powders and squish them together and put them in a mold, uh, but, then, but then you lose the additive side, right? And you're, and you're making these molds and, you're, and these things are done in low volumes uh, and, the, and the combination is a little different. So when you open up this new design space, it's, it's that people couldn't fabricate the parts or couldn't fabricate the geometries they needed in this alloy, right? So if you're, and then we run it through like, so if you're making a jet engine nozzle, you, so, so for example, you take an aerospace company, uh, you take a Siemens or a GE, they know how to qualify that nozzle. They just need you to make them repeatedly and it's a substantial volume that they can go through the process. And now we say, hey, here's this new, here's this new alloy. You go back to when like the super alloys come out, came out. You know, uh, as, you, as you came out with like higher temperature, as, as engineers came out with higher temperature turbine blades, engine efficiency went up. They created new ways to create, to, to make these single crystal blades uh, and, and engine efficiency goes up. We now have new ways to make uh, these different metal components and you'll see efficiencies going up, right? Across different industries. And it's just that you could not, you could not fabricate these alloys uh, through traditional processes in the shapes that you need for it to be useful. Greg, the, so this has been uh, fascinating because it really highlights uh, how fast advances in additive manufacturing technology in 3D printers uh, can open up new dimensions uh, along which the performance of products across a range of industries can improve. And thinking of uh, things that happen fast, the growth of uh, Mark Forge that has been uh, remarkably fast. You've recently been named number 10 in the Deloitte list of the 2018 North America Technology Fast 500 rankings. You've been listing among Forbes' list of the next billion-dollar startups 2018, and you only started operations uh, five years ago. So I have two questions on this. One is, uh, when you started, did you think you would be on an it list at this stage, let alone two? And secondly, how can you, or what can you tell us about the main challenges of scaling up so quickly? Okay, so, so the answer to the first question is, uh, you always hope, but you never presume, right? So uh, nine out of 10 startups fail. And when we, when we you know, got into this space, uh, and we, it's a funny thing. We didn't get into the space to build a billion dollar business. We got into the space because a bunch of us were engineers, myself included, and we've suffered through the pain of not being able to get high strength parts in, in a timely fashion, right? So we made this, this 3D printer that we wanted for ourselves. Uh, and it was, trust me, a huge amount of work to get it to work right. Uh, and then we hoped that other people would like it too. It turns out they did. And as it, uh, and kind of, and I think the reason that we scaled quickly is that, uh, We've never been happy with status quo, right? So we had this breakthrough printer when we were printing, you know, Kevlar and fiberglass and carbon fiber, and that was great. But we knew <clears throat> it's not, uh, this isn't enough. Engineers need more materials, right? And so, and so with this, it's, it's always been, for us, it's always been, what, what is the set of tools that we, that we would want internally to build products faster, to manufacture products faster, to get products to market faster? And we've been building those set of tools. And along the way, uh, we now have more resources, bigger teams. It's, it's more exciting from, from a, a, a capability standpoint, right? Our, our team's so much bigger and, and, you know, our tools are nicer. 
but the that initial like uh, hunger and quest to to build printers that we wanted to use and that we would be uh, excited to have that stayed the same, right? And it it comes into uh, it comes into this when you as an engineer uh, when your friend calls up, you know a bunch of us here went to MIT. Okay, it's a it's a it's not a bad school. When your friend calls up and asks what three D printer we should buy, and you give them like uh, very candid answers. And like uh, eight out of 10 times, it's the one that we make. And two out of 10 times, oh, you want the plastic one? Let me show you that one. Uh, that's a very rewarding feeling. And I think that's, a, that's really driven a lot of the excitement in the company, right? In terms of like the biggest challenges, you know, the challenge is, the challenge is, to, is to never forget like, uh, it's, this is White Stripe songs. Uh, you know, one of the lines is like, uh, you're in a little room and you're working at, you know, this notion basically you're in a little room and you have this great idea. And then you find yourself years later in a bigger room and you don't remember how you got there. Right. <laughs> so, and you, you know, and it's, it goes, you know, you, you, you have, you're working on something new and you have to remember how you got to that little room. Sounds uh, like a riff on then, a you know, song. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Jay-Z also has a song about this, you know, uh, <laughs> acting like it's your, uh, you know, your intern year. The thing about this company is uh, nobody's running around here saying we made it. There's no notion of, I don't care when Forbes says, you know, next billion dollar company, 10th fastest tech company in North America. I, I love it. It's great. I'm proud of it. But nobody's here running around. We made it. Everyone's here running around saying, here's all these parts that we should be printing better. Here's all the limitations that we have. We need to make better printers so that, like, uh, so that we and our customers can make uh, parts in higher volume and with more materials. And it's that, kind, it's that perpetual quest to build, like, to build a better printer. To, and not, it's not the better printer is to enable the access to these high strength parts, high strength and high volume, high resolution, low cost. And, and keep, you know, how can we keep innovating our way to fulfilling that promise? That's, the, uh, that's been the mission. And it's, uh, it's, easy to, it's easy to see that for the people who have been here for a long time. When we do onboarding and people come in new and they jump on the rocket ship and they're like, hey, this is going like up and to the right, it's great. In our onboarding, we show them here's a journey and uh, it doesn't matter how well we're doing now, here's all the things we need to be doing better. And we always ask the question, what can we do, we be doing better? I think, I think that's been a lot of how we got here, but more importantly, it's not, uh, more importantly, it's how do, we keep, how do we keep giving people printers that change the way they, they build products? So the secret yeah. is never forget why you started doing this. Exactly. And, never, and, the, and the answer is you're never done. Right. It's like, why, did you, what did you like? It's, it's just ingrained. Why, like why we did this. And the fact, and there's no, I don't know what, I don't even know what done would look like. Right. If I, if you were to ask me, when is Mark Forge done? I would tell you when you can imagine any conceivable shape in any conceivable material, you can get hit go and you can have it in any conceivable volume. Then we're done. And I will be long since dead when that happens. So for better or for worse, uh, I'll never see done. Hey, I'd actually like to ask Track a question. Um, I don't know how, how long you've been with the company, but if you can tell us a little bit about how the messaging has changed. You know, you're the director of communication. So how has the messaging about what Mark Forge is, Mark Forged is, and what its aims are, you know, how's that changed over the last whatever, you know, a it's, it's years. possible that Greg actually may be able to answer this question better since he's been there from the beginning. Um, I started, uh, actually right around a year ago, 
Um, and when I first came in, uh, I feel like the messaging was kind of a tabula rasa. Uh, we had a very diverse group of customers. We were printing you know, amazing, we still are, printing amazingly strong parts uh, in a very, very cost-effective way, basically industry-breaking cost-effective way. Um, at the beginning, the focus, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, at least when I joined, seemed to be on, uh, we print strong parts. Uh, we print strong parts for the factory floor. Nowadays, uh, what we've noticed more, and based on our conversations with customers, especially global manufacturers, um, is that these printers, or as Greg likes to call them, these little robots, because that's basically what they are, uh, are really transforming the way that uh, these manufacturers uh, approach their business. Um, there was uh, an instance in which we uh, had a customer come in, uh, uh, once again, can't name names yet, <laughs> where they wanted to do something like uh, very, very ambitious, right? They wanted to print uh, and use parts at scale um, at the same rate as traditional manufacturing. And we said, you know, that's a fantastic, ambitious goal, but how about we start, uh, how about we start with your tooling? Um, they did an audit of their tooling and fixtures. And it turned out that just with the, you know, addition of uh, composite printers and metal printers, they could be looking at as much as a $5 million reduction, annual reduction on their tooling and fixtures process. And that uh, basically scales over time. And that's, I'm based in San Francisco, as, as I told you earlier, and I see tech company messaging every day. I'm basically assaulted with it, right? Um, and there's something to be said of that kind of Silicon Valley uh, TV show meme about everyone talking about changing the world, right? We're changing the world by disrupting credit card payments. Uh, but what Mark Forge is doing is literally changing the face of uh, manufacturing. And, and to some extent, the entire 3D printing industry as well. Like we're seeing real and true uh, transformative uh, applications, implementations, integrations, um, which is a gigantic step from even just five years ago when the sort of popular perspective of 3D printing uh, was toys, right? Toys and quote unquote prototypes. But honestly, what is the real value of a prototype if you're basically, if you're simply taking an idea and bringing it to a physical realm just to show someone versus if you do that and you get it right, you can just start using that part. And uh, so as of late, you know, in, in not in a sort of um, self-congratulatory way, we've shifted our messaging to talking about evangelizing the transformative power of 3D printing, especially in manufacturing. Greg, does that seem accurate? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, uh, here's the thing. When, uh, if you look back to when personal computers came out, people had no idea what they were going to do with them. Like it was a hobby until VisiCalc came out, right? And so for us, like uh, if you look at our first, our earliest launch video, where the video ends with like, now you can print carbon fiber and God knows what you're going to do with it. We had no, we knew what we were going to do with it. We had no idea what the world at large was going to do with it. And it turns out our first killer app is manufacturing, right? Like we, we print factories. So like these factories that used to be, uh, you know, years to build, you now have like subsets of them getting made in days. It's crazy. It's like totally, totally crazy. That is the spreadsheet for high strength 3d printing. Right. And then like, uh, the next killer app is, is going up the volume chain. Right. And we've started to crack that with, uh, like I mentioned, you know, getting the thousands to five thousands. Right. And we're, that's like, uh, that's like the internet. Okay. Where, and when you get into this, like 
you know, 10 to hundred thousand, it's, it's literally the internet where you, you can, uh, digitally manufacture as quickly, as quickly as you could traditionally, as cost effectively as you could traditionally for a wider set subset of the world's parts. Right. So, uh, our messaging, you know, to track's point has, uh, has changed to reflect a discovery of the first killer app and B, uh, advancement of technology. Right. So it's, you know, we started with, uh, you know, here's a, here's a breakthrough process and material, you know, uh, <laughs> good luck. Right. And it's turned into, here's a way to transform your manufacturing, uh, both the factory and up to a certain volume. And here's a roadmap to, uh, we'll partner with you so that like, so that as you go up that volume curve, you can take more and more of your content and not only assemble it digitally, but you can manufacture it. You can, you can create the parts themselves digitally. And so that's, you know, the, the messaging has, has, has uh, advanced as the products have advanced. Or the messaging has focused as the products have advanced. Right. And as the killer apps have emerged. We're at the, at the top of the hour, and I want to be respectful of your time. Yeah, I'm going to have to yeah. jump. If you have a 20-second question, I can answer it. 20-second <laughs> question. Uh, you, you, you touched on a little bit about your, your view of where the industry is going. You know, what's it look like, not in 20 seconds, but in 20 years? I can't give you a timeline. The answer is uh, more end-use parts, right? So whether that number is, uh, you know, like I mentioned, this like zero to six, zero to hundred. Whether you're producing the first ten thousand this way, or hundred thousand this way, or million this way, we don't know what order of magnitude it's going to be. We just know it's going to be vastly more, right? And the further out you go, the less certainty you have on the order of magnitude, right? But an, a a fact of life is that that magnitude will keep going up, and it's and it's been going up, and as it goes up. When you go from being able to produce, you know, this is the cheapest way to produce 10 parts to it's the cheapest way to produce a thousand parts. It's, it's been a game changer because there's a lot of parts in the world that are created. There's a huge fraction of the $12 trillion manufacturing uh, uh, market that's under a hundred parts. Hmm. Okay. And then there's a, there's a huge fraction under 10,000 parts. It's just, it's just, these numbers are astronomical because you're touching, because the, because the market is, is, is so huge. It's not about being able to print the iPhone. It's about all the things you can print on the way up to the iPhone. Great. Uh, I'll let you go. Thank you guys so much. This has been a super interesting conversation and uh, appreciate your taking the time to speak with us. It has been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Congratulations and good luck. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Marco. Hey, Michael here again. And before you close your app, can you do me a favor? Forward this episode to a friend or two or three. Choose someone in your contact list who you think would enjoy the show and share it with them. We know you have friends who also enjoy being curious. Thanks. 